right, good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you guys this morning. It's a privilege to uh, worship God together as God's family. This morning as we gathered to pray uh, as a strategic service, that's just going to keep going. Um, we, we were praying for our, the missionaries that we support as a church, so in Italy and Ireland, and uh, we were also praying for some friends in a, in a closed country that the husband is in, in jail right now because of his faith. And he can't be with the, the body of Christ. And, and yeah, we were just struck by uh, how we take this moment for granted. That we get to come together as God's people, lift up his praise, uh, sit under his word, and just put ourselves in the stream of his grace. And so, just always want to just put that before you. This is a privilege that we get to do. And it's my privilege now to open up God's Word with you. If you have a Bible, we're going to continue in our series, uh, God at Work. Uh, it, this is a series that we're looking at. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 is where, or is where we're going to be at mostly today. But if you're just joining us, welcome. We're midstream through a, a series that just uh, looks at this issue that uh, God spends actually a lot of time. We've, we've kind of discovered, and maybe you were surprised, that, that, that God is really into work himself, uh, as we read just a few minutes ago, uh, everything he made was good. And then he made us in his image and he made us to be workers. And so we, we've looked at that. God blessed work and then sin came into the world and there was a curse over work. Uh, but last week we looked at Colossians chapter three and we saw as God's people, how, do, how does work get redeemed? And we saw this, that if, if Jesus is Lord of all, then uh, by inference, that means Jesus is Lord at work. And so the way our work gets redeemed is that we do our work unto the Lord. Wh- whatever it is, whatever station of life you're at, whatever your particular section of work looks like, that's how your work is redeemed. And so for the next four weeks, as we close out the series, it's an unpacking of that truth. What, what, does, what, what does it look like for work to be Redeemed. So, um, I was thinking, obviously, thinking a lot about work in this whole series, thinking about some history of our work. Uh, so, I was thinking about 20 years ago. Uh, my wife and I have been married 22 years, and so just a couple years into our marriage, uh, man, like like a lot of newlyweds, we were poor. Like, like we would we would have two dollar Tuesdays, and that just meant like whatever we made for dinner had to be less than two dollars, and uh, we would see who could take the quickest shower. Like that's 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 where we're at, but. We, find, we were at a point uh, where we were uh, just going to go full on. I was going to go full on to seminary. I was going to quit my job as a financial advisor. And, um, and I was going to work with a ministry downtown, not getting paid. Uh, I was a basketball coach for inner city kids and uh, Denver Street School. And uh, so it's, it's middle of the summer. And I had just quit my job. And, and Jennifer was working. So we're, we ran the numbers. We're like, uh, this is going to be okay. And so I, I'm on the black asphalt of... Uh, uh, church in the city uh, next to East High School, and we're running drills. And uh, this is before cell phones, by the way. And so uh, this, I, I had no heads up. And as I'm running the drill, I look up, and Jennifer, who should have been at work, is walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, how's it going? She's like, I quit. And I was like, ah, that's awesome. That's, that's great. Now, we both are unemployed. Uh, and, and yeah, she just, she had a situation where uh, it was just increasingly uh, just a terrible boss, and, and it was increasingly uh, costly to her Christian witness in that place, and so she's like, I, I'm, I'm done. And so, um, 
Yeah, there was like a, a, a little bit of a moment like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? Neither one of us have a job. We still have bills. Uh, but it, eventually, a couple weeks later, she got another job. We were fine. Uh, how I was thinking about that, is, especially in relationship with what we're going to talk about today. It's one thing to do that 20 years ago. We got no kids, uh, no mortgage, no, uh, we're not close to retirement. We're not, like, all, like, it was costly, but it wasn't that costly, right? Like it, it, it was like, oh, we'll, we'll get through this kind of thing. And, and it was better just to be faithful to the Lord in that moment. But then I thought, man, if that was to happen today, both of us unemployed, my daughter's about to head to University of Mines. Shout out to Mines next, <laughs> next fall. I got to pay for that. Uh, I got two more coming up. Also looking at schools. Man, in that moment, I'd be like, wow, I... There, there would be a, there'd be a tension at the very least. Like if I was in a situation where, uh, you know, I wasn't a pastor or, uh, and, and uh, there, there was just increasing pressure, increasing pressure to just kind of maintain and provide and all those things. And I get, the, get all that. Uh, it would be hard in that moment to just be like, I'm just going to trust the Lord. <laughs> right. And so uh, the, the more we, it, there's this interesting thing, the, more, the further we go, the more we succeed, the more we have, the, the more that's at stake. And, and there's going to be moments because it, on this side of eternity, the, the Christ has redeemed work, uh, we still are in a sinful, broken world. And so we live in a, a kingdom that's here, but not fully here. And so there's going to be moments in your work, in your life, where uh, you're going to be faced with uh, the choice between faith and fear. I mean, that's the whole story of the Bible. You're, you're going to be faced with the choice between compromise or, or conviction. Like, what are you going to do in that, that moment? And again, the, the further you go, the better you've gone, like the, the, the harder it is to trust God in that moment. I mean, we know this just, just take giving, for example. The more you make, the less you give percentage wise. But the opposite should be true, Right. Like, but, but you're like, oh, I, I've, I've got more and more and I've got to hold on to that. So, so that's true of, uh, of every area of our life. But here's the deal. We live in Parker, Colorado, which, which just means that you have worked the system. Like, honestly, you, you've worked the system and, and I'm not downplaying your work. You've, you've been, you, you've known how to climb the ladder. You, you've been very successful. You've got nice houses. Like, think about this. Like, we are more educated than probably 99% of the world. And you did that. And, and, uh, we would, we have these kind of houses that like even a hundred years ago and be, beyond, uh, the kings and queens would, would, would gladly exchange their, their castle for your house, right? They're like, oh, you've got, you got carpet. That's pretty nice. You got, uh, refrigeration. You got heating and air conditioning. Uh, the, and you can have multiple different kinds of food. I'll take that. Like we've, that, that's what we just take for granted. Like we have all that and we, we've got a lot of, stuff. And, and I, I know what you're thinking. You think, well, I, I worked very hard to get to this point. Like, and and I, I don't downplay that at all. I, I'm sure you did. But, but that does not negate the fact that you, you just have some privilege in that. And I know in this time of hyperpolarization, when I say that word, some of you just turned off. But, but think about it just from a b- biblical perspective. Like you didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose what country you'd live in. You didn't choose what kind of economy you would inherit. You, you didn't choose that there would be a, a country with great schools that you could go to. You, you did the work along the way. I'm not downplaying any of that. But I've been to a lot of countries 
where people work twice as hard as I've ever worked. And they'll never have one-tenth of what I, what I have. So, so it's, it can't be just that. But the problem is, as you get more and more and more, and you justify, well, I did this, I earned this, this is mine, I've got to hold it. You get more and more internally focused, and you forget that all the blessings that you have are meant to be a blessing to others. And so you kind of have this mentality where I'm, I've got to protect it at all cost. And so as you're protecting it at all costs, you forget. Even as a Christian, you forget. You didn't deserve any of that. You know what you deserved? Death and hell. <laughs> that's, that's what you deserve. None of us deserve to breathe this week. And yet the privilege of being in Christ, we have life and joy and all these things. And so uh, what, what Christ wants to do is lift your eyes and say, hey, because I'm Lord of all, I'm Lord at work. And that means you can trust me in it all. But that, that can be really hard when you have a lot, a lot to lose. And so uh, there's this pressure when we, when we um, move forward with more and more stuff. There's this pressure to bow down to certain idols. Uh, to bow down to the idol of security, recognition, progress. Security, I, I got to provide for my fa- family recognition like i don't want to i've come so far i don't want my reputation to be uh kind of maligned and and progress like we we just have that mindset especially as americans like we've got to get more we've got to go further we got to go faster we we can't possibly step back but but what do you do when you're in a work situation or life situation where it's going to cost you to follow christ well, in that moment, man, there's some tension in your soul, right? And we have our list of, uh, of reasons. Like, hey, you, you want to live in this neighborhood still, right? You want to drive those cars, right? Like, you want to send our kids to that school. Well, I, I'm just going to have to make some compromises at, at work to do that. But here's the thing. Compromising always costs us something. We, we, we think we'll, we'll do the compromise because that way we don't lose our job. We, we keep our money and all that. But, but it costs you something. It costs you self-respect. It costs you uh, moral authority. Like, like your kids and your, your spouse knows, like if you have a, a work set of ethics and a home set of ethics, those eventually bleed into each other and, and you, lose your, you lose the opportunity to tell people at work and at home, hey, just trust God. Just trust God. No matter what, just cr- trust God. I don't know what's going to happen, but, but God is trustworthy. You, you lose that opportunity. And the, the, the final thing and the big thing that you lose when you begin to kind of compromise, you begin to make excuses for things that do not honor Christ at work. Uh, w- when you do that, you, you lose the opportunity to see God meet you in some incredible, incredible ways that, that you would never be able to experience. And when God meets us, when we exercise faith over fear, uh, conviction over um, compromise, when God meets us, he grows our faith in that moment. And here's the deal. If you're a follower of Christ, your faith is either growing in this moment or it's shrinking. It's never, it's never neutral. And so uh, I want us to look at this story. It's, it's, a, it's a well-known story for children. <laughs> in the book of Daniel. And, and because it's well-known and because we put it in the children category, we often miss out uh, of what God actually has for us in this. And, and the Bible is full of these stories where, uh, of, uh, yes, we fail, we stumble, but every now and again, someone comes along, an Abraham, a, Mo- a Moses, a David, an Esther, uh, they, they come along and they are faced with a crossroads moment and they, they choose uh, faith over fear, and, and God arrives, and, and, and we're encouraged, they're encouraged, their faith grows, and the world is changed. Uh, I want to look at a story from the book of Daniel. 
Daniel will be mostly in chapter 3, but let me go ahead and set this up uh, by verse 1, and then uh, we'll continue to walk through that. So what do we do when we're faced with these crossroad moments, when, when it seems too costly to follow the Lord? Well, Daniel has something to say to us about that. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, I'll just read the first verse here. It says, In the third year of the reign of jo- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I'm always struck by how one sentence can carry so much pain. If you ever stop and think about what just happened there, for, for generation after generation after generation, hundreds of years, God had been sending prophets after prophets saying, come back to me, come back to me, trust me, you can trust me, I'll be your God and, and you'll be my people. And they continued to turn their back and their back. And he says, if you don't turn, I will send judgment on you. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 is a summary of all that. So about 600 years B.C., uh, God allows the Babylonian Empire to rise up and begin to just decimate all sorts of places. And they get to Jerusalem, and they absolutely decimate it. And the book of Lamentations kind of captures what, what happened there. But just imagine, put, put yourself in that scene. You see your family members, your mom, your dad, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, just being put to death, tortured, set on fire. You, you see uh, the, the pinnacle of your, your identity, the, the temple being destroyed. Uh, just, just so much pain, so much hardship, so, many, so much weeping in that moment. That's what verse 1 is talking about. There is a... There's a brokenness. Everything is lost. It says, And the Lord God gave uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So he desecrates the temple. He takes stuff out of there, puts it in his own house. It's just the worst possible scenario for the people of God. Everything's lost. And then ba- uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a smart guy. So wherever he would go and, and conquer, he would say, hey, keep just a little bit, keep a remnant alive. And specifically, I want you to find the best, the brightest, the most beautiful people. I, I want you to bring them back to the capital city. And, and when you bring them back, I-, I want you to teach them. I want you to feed them. I want you to uh, teach them for three years our language, our culture. I want, I-, I want Babylon to be this metropolitan city with the best and brightest from all the people that I conquer. And so that's what he does. He, he, he gets some of these people. In fact, we read their names. Uh, Daniel, in verse 7, Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hanani, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And then in verse 8, the first thing we learn about Daniel and his friends is, is that they are committed no matter what. Even though they've lost everything. Even though they've shed countless tears, even though they've gone a long journey on foot, hundreds of miles to Babylon, they are committed to faithfulness. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so him and his friends, they, they continue to follow the Lord in this pagan foreign land, uh, um, and they continue to grow in stature. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. Again, 
They're, we're going to see something here. They're going to work very, very hard, and they're going to re- rise up very, very far in the ranks, but they never lose sight of the fact that all of their work, all of their wisdom, all their knowledge ultimately finds its source in God. And that's very key for you to be able to continue to be faithful to God. You didn't, e- even the brain you have, God gave you. All the opportunities you've had, God has given you, and he has a purpose for them. So it says God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should uh, be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them into before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. So so they have uh, gone from slaves... Up through the ranks of the Babylonian Empire, the Chalcedonians, and, and they come and they're basically cabinet members of King Nebuchadnezzar. This, this guy who destroyed all their friends and all their family, they're, they're doing their work unto the Lord, and God has honored that and brought them almost to the very highest spot. Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel and was there until the first year of King Cyrus. They were 10 times better. They had, they, they had, uh, they had all the honor. They had, all the, they had lost everything, but now they had gained everything. They had gained position, authority, reputation, progress, money, food, like whatever they wanted, they had in this moment. That's, that's where God had brought them. So now we'll pick it up in chapter 3. So a few years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar, like a lot of national leaders, is kind of a megalomaniac. He's really into himself. He thinks everyone should be about him, and so uh, that, that's what he does. In chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. So that's about 90 feet tall. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the princes to come to the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered uh, for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music when you hear the band warming up here's what you're to do you are to fall down and worship the golden image of the king nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace therefore as soon as all the people heard the band warming up all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar knew that there, there were, well, in his mind, there were a lot of different gods. And in all the people that they conquer, he said, it's okay. Worship whoever you want. Just keep that private. 
Separate your, your public life from, from your private life. You, you can set up whatever gods you want, and, and that's how you can honor your gods. But, but in public, when you hear the band warm, warming up, get ready, come to the statue, and, and bow down and worship me, because ultimately, I can control your destiny. Ultimately, I'm in charge. You want success? It comes from me. You want life? It comes from me. He thinks he's got their lives in their hands. And it looks like everyone does this, except for we know four people don't. In verse 8, therefore, at that time, certain uh, uh, Chaldeans uh, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Again, these guys have been passed up. They've been passed up by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're kind of jealous. They want to tear them down. Verse 9, they declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. And then he, they talk about, hey, when you said the band warms up, everyone's to bow down. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, that's, that's a half-truth. That's slander. These, these guys don't care about you at all. No, that's not true. They served him very well. They, they served the nation of Babylon very well as they were serving their God and serving Nebuchadnezzar. But now they've kind of planted that seed. They don't, they don't serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. And, of course, this doesn't sit well with Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar is in furious rage, commanded the, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He's saying, maybe you didn't understand. Maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't get the memo. Maybe this is just a big misunderstanding. You know when the band warms up, you're to come out and you're to be there, right? And so um, he says, Now, if, if you... Are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. In other words, we'll just let this go. We'll chalk it up as a big misunderstanding. I'm going to give you a, a second chance. I'm going to give you some time to think about it, uh, but, but the band's going to come out, and, and when they get going, it's time for you to bow down and worship me. And because... There's a lot at stake here. He says this, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then he asks this question, and this is what the, the idols that we bow down to ask us all the time. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who, who can do this? And, and that's what we're faced with. Like, well, I can't I, I, I've got to do this. I've got to compromise my conviction. I've got to do this because if I don't do this, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my house, I'll lose my car, I'll lose everything. And so this story is here to just put it in the extremes, right? Like, like none of us are going to face this extreme of example. Bow down and worship a golden idol or lose your life. And so everything else in before that, we're called to walk in their way. Who is able to deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, <coughs> O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you that in this matter. I love it. They're like, hey, you don't need to tell the band to warm up. You don't, you don't need to give us time to think about it. We don't even need to pray about this one. You, you don't need to do all of that. So he's, verse 17, if this be so, and here's the key, our God whom we serve is able. There's the, the story of the Bible. Our God is able. They believed him. They had lost everything before. They were facing losing everything again. And they had such a relationship with God that they could say in their heart and they could say before the king and in the face of losing everything, our God is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. I mean, either way, we're, we're going to go and, and burn up and, and we'll be away from you or, or he's going to deliver us, we'll be away from you, O king. 18, but if not, so that they're not... They're, they're not saying God has to do this. If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We will choose faith over fear, conviction over compromise. And, and so this sets Nebuchadnezzar off even more. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was feel, filled with fury. Hey, and the story is, he, he says, all right, bound those guys. And they, they bind them. And he says, Take the furnace up seven times as hot as it was. And they, they, they take them to the fiery pit. And it was so hot that, that before they even got there, uh, the, the guys that were taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there, they die. They just fall dead. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the fiery pit. And Nebuchadnezzar thinks, that's it. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, a true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Our God is able. And he looks in and, and Theologians and others say, think that this is probably a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. He is with them. And, and that's the promise. You exercise faith in, in the God. Uh, you turn from the, the visible king and the visible kingdom into the invisible God and the invisible kingdom, and he will be with us. And so uh, Jesus is there, and his presence is protective presence so that they don't even smell like fire. They're, their clothes aren't singed. They're, they aren't burned up at all. So Nebuchadnezzar has them pulled out and, and brings them out, and he's just astonished. But look what the result here at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb. I mean, this guy's an extreme. <laughs> and their houses are laid in, laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So God shows up. See, see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this. We aren't going to compromise the principles of God to maintain the blessings of God. Everything you have is, is from God, for God, to God. It is a blessing. 
But, but again, the more we have, the higher status we get, we are more and more tempted to compromise the principles of God uh, to maintain the blessings of God. It's insanity. Unless you, you fix your eyes on everything we have is from God and for God and to God, you will begin to think, I've got to hold on to it no matter what. They didn't compromise. Now, now I don't want you to hear in this uh, a misnomer about faith. You're thinking, okay, well, if I exercise faith in every situation, it's going to be just like this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, it, it could be very costly. I, I want to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, I'll have it on the screen here. Uh, it's called the Hall of Faith. And, and what, what the author is, is pointing out is by faith... Man, God shows up and does amazing things. And he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Moses, and he talks about them crossing the Red Sea, and, and David, and also. And, and then verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's, that's going to be Daniel later in the book. Quench the power of fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, stop right there. When you hear all that, you're like, man, where do I sign up for that? Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's like, that's like quintessential American Christianity right there. We are unstoppable. We're, we're going to conquer everything, right? But you've got to read the, the rest of the verses. Look what it says. Oh, I lost it. I'll put it on the screen. Some were tortured. What? <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about this by faith, all this stuff happens. They refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. So again, this is not some name it, claim it, prosperity theology that says if you just have faith, you're going you're gonna to take your boss's job someday. <laughs> like, no. See, see, God may choose to rescue you out of the fire. He may choose to shut the mouths of the lion. He may choose to, to continue to advance your, uh, your worldly status, but he may not. Because we're always laser focused on this moment right here, right now. What's in my bank account? How's my retirement plan? What are my kids doing? We're always laser focused, but God is not. He is focused on something so much bigger and more than that. He's focused on your eternal position and relationship with Him. So Romans 8, 28. For, For those that love God and are called according to His purposes, He works all things together for good. And in this case, uh, together for good for some of those was the world wasn't worthy of them. And so they died. But they got to inherit the kingdom of God forever and ever. So what, what do we do with this in light of this? We've we got to ask ourselves a question, a few questions. I'll, I'll put, I call them diagnostic questions. In light of uh, this work series, in light of uh, the, the moments that you're going to have in work or, or life in general where you're going to have to choose between faith and fear, c- courage and conviction. 
Uh, let me ask just a couple questions. And you, you just think about this. And you'll deal with this as you come to this table. And, and remember that God is for you and not against you. God is able. The first question is, is there a growing tension between your work and your faith? Have you built up a, a wall? You, you've got your, your, your work ethics and your faith ethics. And some of you are thinking, man, if I brought my Christianity to work, I wouldn't have a job very long. <laughs> but is there this growing tension in your soul? Number two, do you feel pressure to compromise your convictions at work in order to preserve your security, reputation, or progress? Do you feel any pressure in that moment? The, the, other diag- the final diagnostic question I would say is this. Do you believe God is in control of your security, your reputation, or your progress? So that was the difference. They just believed God is able. God is in control. Therefore, I don't have to manipulate the circumstances of my life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, invite God into that conversation. In a few moments, we're going to come to this table and we're going to be reminded as we're reminded every week that God is able, God is for you. He's not against you. Uh, He has proved it by his blood. He's proved it with his love. And so he is trustworthy. And so uh, if there's some tension in that, if there's been some compromise or there's some temptation this week to compromise, bring that to him as you come to this table. But the other thing is, not, not just to God, uh, bring, it to, bring it to other brothers and sisters in the faith. Man, if you're struggling, this is why we set up intentionally opportunities in our gospel communities and core groups and otherwise for, for you to be around other believers to share. One of the reasons I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are able to uh, do this is because they had each other. Like, they had each other. They, they're like, man, are you going to compromise? No, I'm not going to compromise. You're going to compromise? No, you're not. Okay, let's do this together. And, and the, the mutual encouragement just strengthened their faith. You can't, that's why you cannot survive very long as a faithful Christian on your own. They, they had each other. Um, and then what would this mean for us as a church if we wrapped our minds around this? Well, I was thinking this. Actually, I, I just started this week. Um, and I saw this, this guy, and I thought, man, that's everything I'm trying to communicate. Um, Coach John Mosley. Anyone know Coach John Mosley? One? No? There we go. We got a couple. Yeah. So I, I just started watching this last, last week. Now, it is TV mature because the language is pretty harsh, but Coach John Mosley is the coach of East Los Angeles College, a junior college. And on Netflix, you can watch Last Chance You. And, and what it is, is uh, junior college is that, that gap between, are these kids going to, to make the leap? And, and these kids come from all sorts of brokenness. Maybe they were injured. Maybe they didn't have the GPA. Maybe there was brokenness in their home. And, and they're, they're good, uh, but, but they, they just need, they need some help. They need someone to come alongside them. They need someone to, to, to push them up so that they can get to the next level. And, and, and as, a, as a basketball coach in my past, uh, I, I was watching this, and I'm just amazed at this guy, man. He is just pouring himself out. I mean, he's passionate. He'll, he'll get up in their faces. But you can just tell. I could tell in the first 10 minutes, man, he loves these kids. I could also tell that he was very, very good at his job. I'm thinking, why are you at a junior college? You, you, could, be, uh, you could be at a D1 school. No problem. No problem. 
And he's just pouring into these kids, pouring into these kids. And, and, and this on Netflix, it's a public school, all this stuff. And halfway through the first episode, uh, one of his kids is kind of lamenting just some stuff that he's going through and struggling and he can't sleep. And, and John says, you know what I'm going to tell you? And I, I'm, I'm just watching. I don't know what he's going to tell him. And uh, the kid says, I, well, I'm afraid of what you're going to tell me. He says, well, you've got no peace in your soul. You need some scripture. I was like, whoa. I was like, he knows this is going to be on Netflix, right? Like you're, a, you're a teacher at a public university. And then later on, he's, he's praying with his team. I'm like looking around. I'm like, hey, you're in California and you're, you're, you're doing this. And then later on, there, there's an episode called In My Father's House. And it's all about his faith. And how he, uh, it is his faith that informs his love for these kids and his, and he's committed to this tiny little church and, and how he's just, uh, that, that's what drives everything. He could be further, farther, better, but he is committed because of his faith. And, and when I, I saw that, when I was watching this guy, not only coach, but bring his faith to bear at, at maybe cost of his job, I was encouraged in my faith. I'd encourage you to watch it. So, we need someone, we needed to be a people, in your workplace, especially if you kind of are, are wrestling with this, uh, some, your, your coworkers need someone to go first. Who's going to rise up? Who's going to honor the Lord? We need that in our church. We, we need examples like a John Mosley and, and others that just say, you know what, I'm going to trust God because God is able. And, and this city needs, needs that. We need people that are willing to risk it all to say, man, it's better to honor the Lord than just kind of be cool and just kind of get by. So let us never compromise the principles of God to maintain the blessings of God. And we have a lot of blessings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I do pray that for anyone here that is particularly feeling that temptation to compromise at work or otherwise or just in private personal life whatever it is lord i pray that this message that the your spirit would resound in their hearts and minds that you are able everything comes from you and is for you and to you all the blessings we have in this life are not ultimately attributed to us but to you so lord let us trust you with those things lord as we come now to your table i pray that you do some work in our hearts and our minds to make us more like Jesus and grow our faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.